You're listening to Tiger's Eye. Final episode, 25. Miguel and I stand at the prow, watching the land draw nearer, until I succumb to the urge to leap overboard and swim the remainder of the way. He clutches at my back, keeping his head above the water and spluttering with laughter. We pitch up onto the wet sand, flopping onto our backs to look up into the ocean of stars, now finally in their proper place. More cats emerge from the twilight surf to join us. After the ship docks and the remaining passengers disembark, giving thanks to Captain Wessex and his crew for a safe return, we pass by the uneasy village of Lyons, being joined by a dozen new families of settlers. Now we head north together, out across the swamps and onward into the jungle. There is much talk as we go of how the tribes will be unified. I take Merrick aside during our journey and ask him with utmost solemnity to take Haka home. Our shaman is no longer of sound mind. The things he has seen must surely be haunting him, and he needs gentle help. Merrick agrees to watch him for me. I stop and think before telling him that if Haka slips away at any point and cannot be found, that Merrick must proceed onward all the same and bring word of the lions to the Durga tribe. Arrange a meeting with Shala and add my family's strength to the one tribe under one moon. Where will you be? Delivering this cub back to his own world. Hmm. I will return to them, of course. But should something happen to us, to me, you need to pass this message on. You have my word. A journey north takes many weeks. In my mind I am charting how far we have come. I figure the great river we follow lies roughly upon the shadow of the Mississippi in my world. Their Louisiana is similar to the descriptions I have heard of my own, only overgrown with these red jungle that I never thought I would miss so much. Rao and I have time to learn together. She teaches me to fight better and faster. We circle one another and I work on my intimidation, once again embodying the mongoose, fixing my eyes on hers as I bare my teeth and skitter around, jabbing with my claws 
and swiftly dodging the blows from her new spears. My mind travels back to our first meeting, and how convinced I was that maintaining eye contact would ensure she recognized me as an intelligent being. Now I realize that in her culture it is seen as a direct threat. By all rights she should have killed me on the spot for my perceived aggression. Today it becomes one of the craftiest tools in my arsenal, key to convincing larger cats that I am more than formidable enough to do them harm. We teach one another our words until she is able to form several of mine with her tiger mouth. I can only assume the growling I am attempting as I chew through her language is getting more intelligible because she encourages me further every day. We develop our signing and teach the new expressions throughout the group. I treasure every moment as each footstep draws me closer to my waterfall. Now, after all this danger and pain, I can scarcely comprehend a world where I am not surrounded by great cats. I jokingly sign that I would like to come home with her one night to see her family again. She understands that this was intended lightly, but her deep, sorrowful gaze sees through to my true intentions. She is immovable though, convinced I will be snatched away and killed at any moment. I can see her go into a sensory trance every now and then as she scans the treetops for predators. I wish I could say we felt entirely safe with our companions, but it would not be true. As the sun comes up each day, our traveling party rests under deep shade with lookouts keeping watch on the jungle. Rao and I develop a sleep shift pattern between us with each trusting the other to guard them. It is good to see her finally able to close her eyes and let her many cares drift away in dreams. One dawn my head is nodding and I am having to fight to keep my eyes open as I sit with my back against her. I feel a paw upon my shoulder. It is Marek. He makes the sign for me to sleep, and I gesture a large thank you in return. Awkwardly, I maneuver myself into a curl alongside her owl. I feel safe here, and gingerly lay my hand on her enormous paw as I close my eyes, matching my breathing with the slow rise and fall of her warm flank. A great emptiness begins to form in my heart, as I realize this will be the only time I lie close to her. I screw my eyes tightly shut as the pressure behind them mounts up. I must not stain her coat with tears. I am made of sterner stuff than this. I open my eyes to find someone else is looking at me. He stalks at the outskirts of the group, but the Red Brujo is clearly hunting within.
I think back to that lion on the boat whose life I took. I have woken up with him in my thoughts time and again and tried to explain my moments of panic to Rao. She has never attempted to trivialize my actions or pass them off as something that had to be done. This was my kill and I must learn to live with it. I still do not know if I could do it a second time, but in the worlds I inhabit, I am sure this is a choice I will be faced with soon. In familiar territory, by a bridge over the Great Serpent River, our group divides once again. Marek marches beside me, alongside Liseth and Aresh, and I do not watch Rao leave as she departs upriver. I have entered into a window of opportunity. If I act too soon, I will be discovered, and who knows what their response will be. If I leave it too long, I will not catch up with them after I double back. Fortunately, a familiar pack of monkeys are nearby, and I use them to my advantage, slipping away while the tigers and leopards around me fend off a ferocious attack. I dive in and out of the river, masking my trail, bounding back onto my holy pursuit. This time, I will not falter. At Yamaya again, we divide off, and I bid farewell to Shala and his companions, each of whom embrace me warmly. Shala is visibly excited and clearly yearns to rush the final distance between here and his daughter, Shal. I picture that stern little face of hers lighting up, and my heart flutters. Glam walks more slowly, an absence traveling with her. I am grateful that Rickish agreed to accompany her the rest of the way up to the village. Miguel waves what I now know he calls his hand as they round the bend in the distance, and they both hold up a paw in response and disappear from view. I need to be alone with Miguel. There is something we each must do. It occurred to me some nights ago, when we had been gesturing to one another's jewelry and asking after its origin. I now sit with my armlet in front of me and pray quietly. Miguel does the same, and noting the significance of my treasured artifact, he lays his cross before him. Threaded through the beads, I can still make out 
her short strands of woven tiger hair. This has been so, so long overdue. As I speak the words, Miguel begins something very similar. Carol, I will never forget you. I cannot. And you will be with me always. In every happy memory of yesterday that I have. Rest now. Go with the father of passing and return to this world in whatever form is next. I turn to him and gently tie my armlet around his waist. Something to remember me by. So that I may always be with him. He considers the gift for a time and then holds out the cross solemnly to me. I take it with utmost reverence since it will not go around my neck or arm without breaking. I attach it to my belt. It is just an artifact but its giving is what is most significant. Rao sleeps. I watch over her. This is my last day in the jungle. I can hear the waterfall far off in the distance. She did not want to close her eyes, but neither were we in a rush to reach our destination. I patrol the bank of the river with my new claws. Wondering what my life will be like back in Tennessee. Will I continue my job repairing clothes? No. I am a warrior. Conscripted to the reunified army. I will not run anymore. I will not steal. And I will not fear my father. This is the first time I have thought of Francisco Delgado in weeks. I ponder the difference between his treatment of me as I grew up and her house over the past few months. I drink in the scent of the forest around me, sensing the life, the animals watching me, feeling a mixture of newfound confidence and a terrible fear. The red shadow draws close. 
I glance back at Arau, who sleeps still. He emerges slowly from the trees, carrying with him a long, new, sharp spear. I am out of time. I approach methodically. There is no need to spring in. I need only do what I must. The demon glances at my slumbering mate, and then back at me. He holds out his paw towards her, but does not retreat. In fact, he takes several steps towards me, his sharp claws ready, his face hidden behind that hateful mask. I prepare myself for a short, brutal fight. It will not take long to catch him, and I do not care what poison covers those blades. I take his head between my jaws and crush down, ending his life immediately. Yes, that is what I shall do. The silence lies between us, a gulf between worlds. His mask falls to the floor and I look upon his face. He gestures to Rao again and shakes his head, holding his paw over his mouth to indicate silence. An understanding passes between us as I nod to indicate I will not involve her in this fight. He speaks softly, in my language, one single phrase. Thank you. Then he removes his claws and lets them fall to the ground. Stepping over them, he slowly kneels in my shadow. His head bows and he places both paws splayed on the ground. They tremble. The cub clings onto her back for dear life. Then you have to remember this moment, son. But though we know the stories... Change is going to come eventually. There's always more to learn. No matter how hard we fight it. By looking deeper... The cub leaps atop her shoulder and roars along with her. Lead them. Until you return? Until someone better than you comes along. That's what I did. Realize they are clouds. Golden clouds. The cub walks among the cats, freeing them from their bonds as they cry out with joy. Because it was nobody else's fault. I don't want to forget. I have nobody else to blame. I look back upon this moment now. There is no one else to punish. With shame. She and the cub hold on to one another as he shivers with fright. You will not kill that cub whilst I breathe. How could you replace Carol with him? The cub and his new mother curl up to sleep. This is my son. We share the same feeling. He has come to help us. Shala would unite the tribes. He actually believes this can be prevented. What matters is how we act in the face of that inevitability. It was just one cub. One marvelous, clever, treasured, beautiful cub. I sink down into a crouch, and a sob tears its way out of me. I can barely breathe or move. I shake with exhaustion, and knotted tension unravels through my body. 
He stands and lays a paw upon my back ever so gently. I have been such a fool. A blind imbecile twisted by resentment and fear. It is obvious to all who look upon them that this cub values Rao more than its own life. That there is not a malicious bone in its tiny body. He's embraced our culture, learned our language, helped teach us a new one, freed us, brought us together, and never once asked for recognition. I am the one who has been the greatest danger. I am a wretched, cruel, arrogant cat. Across the way, Rao has stirred. She looks on, quietly, but does not raise herself up to fight or chase me off. All I can stammer as I rise up are four simple words, which she returns without hesitation. I, I am, am so... so Sorry. I leave them there. I walk home over many days and nights. My thoughts are with my family and the true threat to our lives, golden, deadly, and quietly creeping from across the sea. Change is inevitable. Defeat is not. Marek has beaten me there, and the Durga tribe are already in preparation to journey and meet with Shala. Many faces look upon me with alarm as I emerge out into the throng. Gar and Yao stand with arms folded. Nos and Sashal cry out with relief. Hunta is momentarily gripped by fear, until I meet his eye with a reassurance I feel unimaginably blessed to be able to impart. Close by, Lyrum, in his apprentice robes, stands next to a familiar figure. The silent one steps forward, her gray locks shaking. Where is she? I let her go. Mimicking the actions of Miguel, the name I have never allowed myself to give the cub, I drop down and kneel before the powerful and ancient crone. Then I improvise as best I can with the signing language. I can only pray she understands, though I speak aloud so that everyone else may hear. Silent one, I know less than nothing about the world. It has taken me a lifetime to realize this, and I seek to help my family in every way I can. Will you please teach me to be a shaman? Of course.
We have scaled the waterfall together, and now I stand at the top with Miguel, and my heart sinks. The doorway is there, just as he said it would be, but it hangs out, some way off in midair, directly above a sheer drop down to the river below. I pace about, stamping my paws in utter exasperation. We have come so far, and we are now nearly close enough to touch his escape back home. Miguel gestures wildly to calm me down. He mimes the throwing of a spear, then points to himself, then the doorway. I look down again. This is impossible. I could throw him, for sure, but if I miss, he will tumble down again into sharp rocks. It is a miracle he survived the first time. I shake my head. I do not have faith enough in my aim or throwing arm. Miguel gently pulls me down and embraces me. The possibilities whip through my head. He can stay. Surely he can stay. If Haka no longer wishes to kill him, my tribe could welcome him back. I gaze out over the jungle, teeming with life. So much danger. Fear in my heart, not just for what lies in my land, but for what is coming. What I must return to confront. He pats my arm and whispers a word I now know in his language. Please. I inhale deeply, shivering with tension. His little, insignificant life rests in my paws, the same as it has done since we met. I fix my eye on the doorway and take a few steps back, gearing up my throw. Too much elevation, and I throw him wide out over the rocks. Too little, and he will be engulfed by the roaring water and spin out of my sight. I gather him up in my arms. He prepares himself one last time and cries out for me to go. Time slows. I begin to move, drawing him back. He clings to my paws, I thunder along. Every movement we have made since we met runs through my head. Every urge to protect him, everything he has done for me, for Haka, for our people. We have reached the edge. And I leap. We soar through the air together, and I catch sight of his wide eyes as we hurtle through space towards the doorway. What have I done? This was not the plan at all. Fear, guilt, sorrow, elation, and excitement all fight for dominance in my racing mind. And yet, I feel at peace 
The doorway engulfs us, and we pass through. A single thought hangs upon us both, crossing the border between worlds as we intertwine. Home. been listening to New Century Tiger's Eye. Starring Maureen Foley as Durga Hasna Sher Rawana, Spencer Lieb as Durga Shayar Sher Hakala, and Ben Wheeler. Alex Shaw performed Miguel Alejandro Delgado, Rao's father Junta, Marek the Hunter, Rickish the Jaguar, Mohawk the Lion, The Widow Beneath the Waves, King Louis XVI, and Brask, the Durga Shaman. Loretta Saylor performed Captain Beatrix Annabel Queensbury, Yao, co-chief of the Durga tribe, Panthalida Glam, Shal, daughter of Shala, Hrao's mother Aisha, Mary Wheeler, and Abuelita Lillian, grandmother of Miguel. Matthew Wardle performed Gar, co-chief of the Durga tribe, Shala, chief of the Yamaya tribe, Panther trader Mar, Old Panther Garak, and father of Miguel, Francisco Delgado. Laura Kate Dale performed Dr. Eloise Shearer. Ian Hopwood performed Opali. Megan Hopwood performed Liseth the Leopard. Daniel Floyd performed Laur the Healer. Lauren Grieve performed Lyrum. Alastair Stewart performed Quincy P. Matthews. Marguerite Kenner performed the prosecutor for the GATC. Matt Ramsey performed Judge Harrington. And Sharon Shaw performed Sashal of the Durga tribe, Marta of Texarkana, and the Silent One. The main theme was Agent in Shanghai by 1M1 Music of Shockwave Sound. Flight Hymn and Last Dawn performed by Ross Bugden. Silent Winter performed by Running Wolf. Wildcat, performed by Lyra Shaw. All other music by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio and Blue Zone. Written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw. New Century will continue with Arlington. Right now, while you're in the grip of euphoria after this bittersweet finale, might be the very best time to leave a review on either iTunes or the Kindle store. Don't put this off. If Tiger's Eye made you feel something, tell the world so that more people can find and feel it. And if you would like to review Tiger's Eye or any other installments of the New Century series, get into contact with us and we can send out a review copy to you. If you've not seen it yet, The Cartographer's Handbook has been adapted into a four-part alternate history documentary on YouTube. If you want another complete audio adventure focusing on brilliant characters, check out Secret Rooms. 
And beginning very soon, the next story, Arlington, will pave the way to Steamheart and the climax of Phase 1. Our special Patreon sponsors this month were Ian and Megan Hopwood, Dan Mayer, Erish Travers, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, Nick Grugin, David Garcia Abril, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisholm, Livio de la Cruz, and Scott Corzine. Make no mistake, you guys keep this show going. We, your performers, salute you all. Tiger's Eye is dedicated in loving memory to my own grandmother, Lillian Towler, whom I miss every day. Good day to you, sir. Would I be right in thinking you're Malloy? That's me, sonny. Pleasure to meet you. As I understand it, my wife, Captain Oakley, passed through this town yesterday. I'm told you gave her a tall tale or two. I told her and her friends nothing but the truth. There's some mighty strange things dwelling in these here woods. Well, uh, it so happens I've been delayed on my route to Washington, so... If I asked you real nice, would you mind imparting a few of them to me? I have all morning, and as it turns out, I like tall tales. No matter if they're true or not. Then you've come to the right place. You want to hear about the Mothman or the White Tiger? 